Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Left of Greg podcast. I am Brian Marin, the host and creator of the show. As always, I will be joined by human behavior expert Mr. Greg Williams, who the show is affectionately named after. Here on the Left of Greg show, our goal is to increase your advanced critical thinking skills through a better understanding of what we call human behavior, pattern recognition, and analysis. If you'd like to find out more about what that is, you can check out our website at arcadiacognorati.com or by following us on Facebook at HBPRA or on Twitter at A underscore Cognorati. You can also check out the videos of the podcast on the Left of Greg YouTube channel where we also post some short clips on some of the concepts that we talk about during the show. The links to everywhere I just mentioned are in the episode details, so go ahead and check them out while you're listening along. If you have any questions or would like us to cover a specific topic, please reach out to us at leftofgreg at gmail.com. On today's episode, we are joined by recently retired U.S. Army Colonel Mike Rauhut. Colonel Rauhut is a highly respected, highly decorated, and highly experienced soldier that served in the Army for over three decades. Among his many accomplishments, Colonel Rauhut was instrumental in implementing the Army's Advanced Situational Awareness Program that was written by Greg and that I taught for many years. Colonel Rauhut recently published the book, Solid Steps Through Shifting Sand, that tells the story of his family's immigration from war-torn Europe to the United States. For more information on Colonel Rauhut and his book, please see the links in the description. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the show. So today we've got Colonel Mike Rauhut to get his pronunciation correctly. A long storied career, just recently retired, over 30 years in the military. Um, you know, West Point grad, Naval Postgraduate School, all kinds of different commands. A fellow at um, Council on Foreign Relations, ISAP, Assistant Chief of Staff, all kinds of stuff which we'll get into. And you wrote a book but not about military stuff, about your family and the immigrant experience called Solid Steps Through Shifting Sand. So really cool, a lot to talk about. But I think we kind of start off with, um, we've got a, a previous relationship with you, especially with you and Greg, and per, in particular, the Army ASAT, the Advanced Situational Awareness Training Program that Greg wrote that's still on today became a program of record. So I think, Greg, we'll, we'll start there, and then we'll kind of we'll, we'll get into everything from there. So, so I know yeah, you – If Greg, I could just bracket ahead, yeah. this, ju- just, just bracket this. And, and, Colonel, thank you so much for being on. And this is a culmination of a long time, uh, uh, a lot of history, a lot of water under the bridge. I, I think back to some of the greats. General Brown, I believe, was the first one that introduced us uh, – uh, he, what a great guy. What a bunch of uh, connections we've got there. He's from Royal Oak, Michigan. We actually grew up uh, uh, close to each other back then. Uh, you not only were the champion of ASAT, getting it to the troops that needed it before deployment. Uh, you, can, you were there through all the testing. You were there to help us get Lee Field uh, for the training. So a lot of that great stuff. So I, Brian, I'd love to talk yep. about that. I definitely want to talk about the book because there's yeah, a lot of connections sure. there. And Colonel, for you to know, and, and you know, you're familiar with the site and the work that we're doing, the two topics that I think that I want to interweave to all of the stuff we talk about is resilience, because you can build and breed and pass on resilience like a baton, and also uh, uh, suicide. Uh, we're coming up on Veterans Day. Uh, suicide is always heavy on my mind. We're losing a lot of law enforcement professionals and a lot of soldiers to suicide. So, uh, if Brian, if we looked at those as the four corners of the document, that's kind of the way I was going to approach today. And, uh, uh, Brian is our host. I'm, I'm ready for anything. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So Colonel, we'll just go ahead with you. I know what, so you go back, what was your kind of, uh, uh, you know, influence? What was your opinion uh, of the ASAT program, what you thought it did for the army and kind of what, what gravitated you to like it or, or endorse it? Yeah. So, um, general Brown was the commander of the maneuver center of excellence at the time. And he had, he had taken on the mission of bringing our infantry and armor, um, resources into one, one location. So he was doing a lot of work integrating efforts. He was doing a lot to really look at our soldiers as a system because in the big bureaucracy, it's very difficult to compete soldier kit, soldier training, uh, everything is very difficult to compete against major weapon systems. So he conceptualized this whole soldier approach to getting the soldiers what they needed to succeed in combat. He brought Greg down and, and I still remember going in, it was a professional development session and Greg's making the presentation and I'm listening to this one, I'm thinking, where was this before I deployed? You know, where was this when I was into crit? Which is like top, top number one com- first comment we get from guys. But right, yeah, continue. Right. 
Yeah. So, you know, having, uh, having been an S3 and an XO in combat into crit under Steve Russell, my battalion commander, mm-hmm. one through two infantry, part of the fourth infantry, you know, all of the things that we learned, we learned in contact with the enemy and it was evolution, right? Who's going to learn and adapt quicker. Yep. And, and we developed some of these skills, but what we didn't have is a framework to conceptualize them and a framework to train, as you all know, it's training and education, you know, Right. You can read all the books you want, but you have to have a way to bring it to fruition. Yep. And so I immediately saw in Greg's presentation, that's exactly what it could deliver. So after that, it just, you know, I went to General Brown and I, you know, I, I threw a concept together and said, hey, I, I feel very passionately about this. I think we can operationalize this and bring it to soldiers. And so that's what we did. And it was a great journey. And uh, I'm glad to see, I, I know having spoken to many soldiers um, that it, it was exactly what we needed. And in part of that, you know, we would have key leaders come to, to uh, Fort Benning and I wouldn't, you know, I would, what I did is I would have a little, I had a room, I'd bring in these visiting, you know, very important people, people that would be instrumental in bringing it to fruition and resourcing it. And I just let the soldiers talk, the soldiers that went through the training, the soldiers that we were developing as cadre. And, and they're the ones that convinced all the leaders that this is something the army needed. Right. And I, I think that's, uh, I mean, that's important to one from, I, I, I like when people get to hear that because you being at the leadership level, you were to go, look, this is what the guys on the ground are saying. This was what I, my, not just here's what my opinion of it. This is what these guys are saying. What, if we're all on board, you know, we should probably get this done. So what do you, what do you think, you know, specifically was it or, or, or what was it about this program that you went, Hey, wait a minute, like this is different or you know what I mean because you you have a lot of issues I think people a lot of don't realize I've, I've only had insight as a fly in the wall at your level to go look I've got all these things I have to look at and even to put it as you know a soldier as a system people don't understand the complexity of what goes into training and education and fielding equipment and all this stuff so so there's a lot of competition for resources in there and and time you know is a big one too especially when you have a, a lot of uh, multiple deployments uh, a high high rate of turnover all this stuff all these factors you have to decide what you and what a was, war going on. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I'm, yeah. Right. <laughs> While right. you're fighting a war. Exactly. And so right. what was it about this program where you did the cost benefit analysis and said, okay, we got to, let's put our money here. Let's invest here. Yeah. It really, you know, the, the, the outcome sold itself. And I, and I recognize that the return on investment, if you will, of building into these soldiers' minds, a construct and a framework that they could use when they're wielding the weapons that we give them. Uh, far exceeded what we could do any in any other way, right? We so we're very good, you know. All, all the services are very good of taking civilians off the street, giving them this, you know, the, the knowledge, skills, uh, developing the abilities to do technical things. Right. What always lacks in that construct, particularly when you're in contact with the enemy, particularly when you're surging forces and you're trying to send people to the front, is is really getting after the mind, the psychology. Mm-hmm the physiology, equipping soldiers to know, to make good decisions, right? And, and there, there was no framework to do that, right? We would have little anecdotes. And what, was, what drew me to the program was, all right, you have these frameworks. You have these, you know, the Trivial Pursuit pie pieces, right? right. So there's, there's different ways to look at, um, you know, the rules of three, like, all right, one, one, hey, there's one trigger, there's two, there's three. Hey, I've got to do something now. I mean, right. Some of these things we in my in in combat into crit, you know, we had some soldiers and some with different backgrounds that were pretty adept at picking things and being alert, right? But so what you're doing is okay. How can I make every one of our soldiers like that guy, right? How can and and the way you can do that is through this framework that gives the ability to of people to apply these filters to understand what's going on in their environment, and then to really cue in on what's important so they can make a decision and they can take some action. And Brian, uh, uh, w- one of the things is, Colonel Rahut's not gonna tell you this, but uh, as the commander of the 197th Infantry Brigade, he was, uh, everything came down to his shoulders, where the rubber hit the road, uh, who was living, who was dying, what training was gonna make it. And, and he ran it with, with equal aplomb to uh, all the other programs that he had going. And, and I, I chalked that up to, Proverbs twenty seven seventeen. Iron sharpens iron. One person sharpens another. And and he's so too humble to tell you 
that he was the guy that kept pushing because there was a lot of hard times and there was a lot of hard days. And there was so many people that were saying, hey, listen, we don't have time for this. This is not another rock in our ruck. How are we going to get this done? And then uh, uh, Brian, the uh, Odierno was there. And then the next thing you know, the, the chief of staff of the Pentagon was there. And everybody was looking over our shoulders because uh, I, 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 it was a big experiment but it was in one of those glass balls, you know, that the, they put the little hamster in and it was running around. So there was everybody that was waiting uh, equally for it to win or for it to fail. And, and you, were the, you were the last guy in line, Colonel. And, and so that, that uh, 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 onus was on you the entire time. And, and you, did the, the, you handled the pressure perfectly. And it wasn't your only program. But one of the things that I liked is that you had a clear set of rules and a clear direction for the 197th. And, and uh, we talk a lot about resilience. So resilience is a lot of things, but it's sense-making, problem-solving, adaptability, and resilience. And how did, you, how did you build that into the people that you had to have carry out? You, you trained 200,000 uh, uh, different soldiers and different skills in such a very short time, and they were going to combat. Not all of them were coming back. And those are serious things. How did, how did you deal with that type of pressure? And, and what was the best course to resilience? So for me, uh, it really comes down to your, your command philosophy, your, your mm -hmm. style. And for me, uh, partnering with my command sergeant major, command sergeant major Del Byers, in particular, on the, I mean, he had been a brigade sergeant major in combat in, as, a, as a battalion command, uh, command sergeant major as well. So he was, he and I both recognized the potential of that particular um, program. So it's, you know, as iron sharpens iron, he was definitely sharpening me, sharpening me. And so you have to have that battle buddy that can help you push through the obstacles that'll be presented to you. You know, the resilience, the resilience that I developed, I, I mean, it's, it's like a lifetime, right? It yeah. starts and you, when you're growing up, mm -hmm. right? Values that are inculcated in you, you jo join an organization like the military, the army, in my case, and you're instilled with more values. You have multiple opportunities to, to um, develop that character that's so important in making sure that you can be resilient and you can push right. through. So, you know, it's difficult for me to point to any one thing. Um, my faith was very important. Have, you know, my experiences were very important to me and having a passion to do the right thing for the right reasons. It's a really it was kind of fun taking on the bureaucracy because you can, <laughs> right, you right. Know, it's, it's, it's like your own little crusade to make yeah. sure something very relevant and important got through. Right. Well, and that, Brian, we're feeling that right now. I, I want to tell you, we, we've reached out to, to places like Chicago, the places like Dallas and, and, you know, uh, uh, Philly and, and, you know, down in, in Florida. And I, I, I could spend the rest of the episode talking about how we're trying to get the fusion centers together and have a regional approach to training because law enforcement and first responders, we're asking them to do a job that they'd never have to do before. Uh, we're putting them in positions just like that combat corporal that's gonna make a decision that's gonna impact the entire agency, but we're not uh, uh, arming them with the training and with the architecture. And you're saying, yeah, but the law is there. Yeah, I've got a, a copy of the constitution on the visor of my truck, okay? And, and I, I know the second amendment and the bill of rights and the fourth and 14th and all this stuff better than most people do. But you know what? That's not what's happening. What's happening is they're asked to confront a situation that Congress uh, ruminates on for, for four years, just like that, that soldier on the ground in, in Kabul, just like that, that soldier in the Arjundab. And, and, and what they're asked to do is in nanoseconds, make a decision, it's going to be looked at by experts time and time again. So what, what Brian and I are hoping, and, and, and certainly Shelly and Martin and the, the whole organization, is we're trying to drive forward to offer law enforcement that same type of decision-making architecture. It's based on legal, moral, and ethical principles. It's, it's artifacts and evidence in support of reasonable conclusions. Because if you see what's going on in the news, you've got decisions that are being made at that lowest level without the, 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 the uh, safety net of uh, uh, growing up in, in a certain manner, having the family leadership, having mentors in high school. We have a whole generation of kids that aren't going to do that, that are now carrying guns and wearing badges or going forward. So, so to us, that's such a huge thing. Uh, do, you, do you see that uh, now in your transition from the military and the civilian life? Is that an obvious, as, uh, as obvious to you? Yeah, what's very obvious to me, you know, my passion for the, as a training brigade commander was to make sure that the fielded forces who were immediately deploying into combat were getting the best special skills, infantry trained soldiers they could get. 
Right. And so um, in this particular case, you know, it's 18 year old young men and women having to make decisions in contact with the enemy, life and death decisions right away, who may not have had the benefit of growing up as I did, certainly didn't have the benefit of an undergraduate degree, a graduate degree, you know, thousands of hours invested in training. And I mean, there's, right. there's things that I can think about as a 30 something or 40 yeah. something that an 18 year old is not going to get. And yet we require these young men and women to turn it on and off in a second, yep. turn the switch on, yeah. turn the switch off, you know, to demonstrate incredible compassion one moment and then be, you know, delivering justice to those who need it, you know, the next, and that's very difficult. Uh, and so what I see, you know, I, I've been watching the news, I'll catch, you know, this, the, the white supremacist activity that's been going on. And I, and I saw an interview of a woman and she had fear in her eyes. Right. So this is a thwarted, you know, the good news is they caught this guy. Right. Right. But this is a woman who's living in fear. And so that's the pop, that's a part of the population that has to be protected. So investing in young men and women, regardless of the type of uniform or function that they're performing when as it relates to securing people, and protecting people, I mean, that, that is, that is going to pay in spades because you, you can't buy that the second the crisis comes up. Right. right. And, and that's what a lot of organizations too kind of are starting to realize is that, you know, we, we have, a, you, you mentioned some of them, but you know, you call it like the, the psychology behind it, which is more just us train, what we call it training the brain. And that's the whole idea, right? With gating mechanism an analytical framework on here's how I t- articulate things. It's like, I always tell no matter what group we're in front of, you know, hey, look, uh, over the next whatever it is, hour, day, month, week, wherever, how long I'm training for, I'm about to teach you stuff, uh, you know, you already know, just no one ever told you. And that's why I become so self-evident. Guys go, oh my God, where was this? You're telling me things because like I t- you take you, sir, with, like you said, over 30 years, let's like, let's take just your military experience, you know, even which training starts from the time you're born and how you're raised right. and all the experiences you have. But then, like you just said, I, you don't look at things the same way everyone else does. And that changes over time, right? You get you become better at critical thinking. You have more experiences, more file folders, but, but a lot of us still didn't, don't learn how to articulate those things. So you got guys out on the road and that, and that's who everyone's calling us. These training guys at different departments or, or companies going, look, you're saying, what I don't know how to say. I just listened to your podcast and you're using the words that I know what you're talking about, but I didn't know how to say that. And, and, and I think that's where it comes in, why people find it so self-evident. And even in, in, in private companies too, you know, you start to see that push and everyone talks about, Hey, investing in your people and, and, you know, really develop those people. And as someone posts the quote from Steve jobs on LinkedIn every week of, you know, Hey, you know, why do we invest in our people? What if we train them and they leave? And it says, what if we don't train them and they stay, you know, like that, that's the whole idea. Right. But, but then it comes to actually, how do you actually do that? All right. How do you actually conceptualize that, that, that idea? And I've been, I've just had a past working with a, a major construction company. They invited me out. I spoke with this veterans uh, network they had. And I sat there with some of their executives and they just said, stop, stop, stop. Can you say that again? I said, you know, training changes behavior. There's a difference between education and training. Hey, these are some considerations you need to take. And just little things that we, uh, from our experiences might seem self-evident. They're going, wait, stop, write those three points. Can I write that down? Like, how do you actually do that? So they're all looking how to do that. And that's what, what, what my greatest experience is with this program is all the different domains. So, so it, it started out as a kind of actually even before it was at the army and before it was at the Marine Corps and kind of top tier level units. And this was a combat skill set. And this was you're on the, the edge courses with you or you're, you're in a, a very kinetic law enforcement role. And then it's, it's obviously has applications everywhere. And I think that goes back to the resilience portion of how we ended up doing the suicide prevention stuff with the army up at Fort Lewis and a few other places and the sexual assault harassment that this is that people's skill set. And that's why I love it is that, you know, we put all these different, we have these different domains, these different areas we have to train in, but there's this core competency, right? That, that we, we haven't quite developed yet. And people are out there, you know, trying to figure it out, but I, that's what I love about the skill set. I don't know if you have a similar experience with it, how it kind of opened up or gave you that lens or gave you a way to articulate things. No, absolutely. And that language is so important, right? So we've got right. the big slogan, see something, say something. That's great. Now I'm not, you know, my, I don't expect everyone in the nation to go through the course. Yeah, Certainly right. those, you know, that are right. responsible for a higher level of scrutiny and you know yes. perception and have to do something with it. Saying something's great. Um, how do you process what you're seeing in the first place? 
Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think for those that are charged domestically, those that of us that, that, uh, or those that are still serving that have to go, uh, do things overseas. I mean, having, you have to have that framework because it's not, it's not something that's going to come naturally. Your ability to perceive the environment, assess it, get to the point where you know something needs to be done to, you know, saying something to someone. I mean, it's good. I'm see something, say something's absolutely, you know, I'd rather have people defaulting to saying something, right. That helps because this stuff is all hard. Even when you do get highly trained, you're exactly right. These things, right. Because it's so nuanced, right. It's so fluid because the environment's always changing. So it's tough. Uh, It's a lot tougher when you have no language in addition to the environment, you know, yeah, it, it, one of the things, and, and uh, uh, you, you brought it up yourself, Colonel, one, one of the things is Building 4 became this repository of the knowledge, and I was so proud of being at Benning and, and being in the shadow of the, the three towers, not the four, and, and seeing those young minds uh, attack it, and uh, the banners that they put up after going through the training, you know, all science all the time, and, and, and they, they, they grabbed it and took hold of it. The, the thing is that, that when I came up with all of this, I was just a lucky guy stumble around with the 16-ounce gloves in a, in a dark room and fell over something and had the epiphany that, hey, wait a minute, this stuff is already here. But if you put the recipe this way rather than this way, it, it tends to stick. The, the thing, though, is that the people that embraced it, Dell embraced it. Uh, the sniper community on Benning embraced it. Uh, the Marines, uh, the devil dogs going forward, they embraced it. And, and if we can get that, that uh, uh, for lack of a better term, that insurgency started at mm-hmm. ground level, that's where it starts. And, yeah, and, right. and, and they, uh, uh, pardon the, the language, but a soldier will call bullshit in the first few minutes knowing yep. that the training isn't worth it. They haven't got time for it. So whatever training that they go to, and I don't want this to sound like a commercial for, for our training, but whatever training you're going to, get you to training, get there off and understand that the, the better and harder and stronger and faster you are, that you can get ahead of that enemy in that OODA loop and, and you can train your family. You can, you can be safer on the way to, to get fuel or go to the 7-Eleven. And that's what we're all about is, is you know, hardening, you know, uh, uh, Brian uh, uh, put it best, uh, you know, we want to uh, soften the heart open the eyes and harden the facilities. And we want to be able to do that consistently. But, you know, it, it takes something that this type, uh, uh, this type of temerity, this type of dedication. One, one of the things, uh, Brian, uh, uh, Colonel Rahu and I have got a lot of similarities. I was supposed to go to West Point, primary candidacy, went down, had right. my interview, everything was going uh, uh, well for me. Then my loins took over. And the next <laughs> thing that you know, I, I had a, a bun in the oven child on the way, and it was off to the 11 Bravo Infantry for me. Uh, uh, then uh, you, you're uh, from up in Hinsdale, New York for a time. Uh, I was the undersheriff of Hinsdale County here in Colorado uh, uh, of the uh, 4th Infantry Division. Uh, you, you, you were with the uh, 4th Infantry Division at uh, uh, Berlin Brigade. And, and yes. uh, 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 I was in the 4th ID uh, as a young sergeant that couldn't find my butt with both hands. There was so <laughs> many things where, where you know, you, you were the opposite side of that same coin. Then all of a sudden, I, I hear yeah, about it, the book, and I'm excited about the book. And my family is in this book. Everything yeah. that you wrote is about, is about Shelly and I and how we uh, brought up. And I bet... I bet the most common feedback you're getting is how did you know that story? Cause that's my story too. Did, uh, did you run <laughs> well, into that? that? Yeah. That, well, let's, I, I think that's a, yeah, that's yeah. a good segue. Obviously stick Sorry, you know, Brian. going wrong right into the book uh, uh, because we, you know, talking about resilience and, and how that, you know, the ASAT training course can, can do that and apply to that. But, but another, you know, form of resilience, you know, you've got your book solid steps through shifting stand about uh, through shifting sand. Sorry. Um, about your family who came over as immigrants, which I, I think that experience, obviously for everyone, as did uh, my family uh, from you know uh, Germany, Hungary, and, and Ireland, uh, that that uh, that started that resilience culture, I think, in the United States because they all had to come here and they all had to make do, and it wasn't easy. So uh, please, like, go tell tell us about the book, please. Yeah. So the you know why one why I wrote the book. Um, I grew up in a home of German immigrants. My mom and dad both survived at, you know, through as children through World War II. And I grew up in a home hearing stories about the war, post-war Germany, what it was like living there. 
And I kind of took for granted growing up that, yeah, but yeah, most people starve when they're younger, right? They, they go to the field and work for 14 hours for food. These are the types of experiences my dad was living as a young man after half his family was killed. And so I grew up hearing these stories and then, then, um, then the things in the eighties and nineties are kicking off. I'm seeing the rise of terrorism, the Iranian hostage crisis, just my bloodlust was boiling. And so all of these things kind of came together. My, my parents, I should say, were both liberated by U.S. Army elements. Different ta- they were in different towns. They were liberated by different units. But they were shown incredible compassion by U.S. Army soldiers um, when they didn't necessarily have to show compassion, right? And so incredibly you know, life-changing, life-ending situations these soldiers were going through, and they treated my parents with great compassion when they encountered them in these towns. And so I grew up and that, that was a huge motivator for me to join the army. You know, I was 18 years old, 17 years old, didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. So I said, well, let me go do this army thing for a while. And right. You know, after nine years, after my obligations do certainly I'll know what I want to do when I grow up. So I joke <laughs> with my kids now who are, you know, the same age or a little older. And I tell them, Hey, look, I'm now I'm doing it all over again. I'm going to try to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. But the, the story you know, it was incredible, the resilience of my parents, the hardships that they lived through. Um, my da- I told my dad in the 90s, these stories, you know, dad, we need to write these down because I won't remember them. I won't remember all the details. And so I, I wrote this book. My, my dad, I lost my dad a few years ago. My mom passed away last year. But I wrote this book while still in uniform, handed it out at my retirement ceremony as a way to say thanks to the U.S. as a nation. Uh, and to the army specifically. Um, and my dad had always asked me and my mom had always asked me to thank the soldiers that I served with for those, how the soldiers treated them post, you know, at the end of the war. So that's kind of the why, why I did the book, why I wrote the book. And then in terms of content, you know, I just think there's, it, to me, it's incredible to, to think about how um, my parents' faith, uh, the resilience, I mean, they, they lived through some horrific experiences in their lives and they did not, they did not respond how many humans choose to respond to those stimuli today. Right. So they, they were loving people, you know, they raised me. um, They, they treated everyone they met with dignity and respect. So I just feel very fortunate that that's the environment I got to grow up in. And I, fortunately I didn't have a choice. Right. But there's people that don't have the benefit of that. They didn't have a choice either. Right. Um, so I always think about those, you know, for me in command positions in particular, 18 year old men and women who taught them the values and the morals, the ethics, the approaches so that they went when they encounter a kid, you know, what right. are they doing? Or when they're encountering an Iraqi family or, you know, pick, pick an environment, how are those soldiers able to do, you know, do they have the slack and the rope to give out a little bit? So they're not there making you go. decisions, you know? Yep. Well, one of, one of your, uh, in, in, I got to tell you, there was a lot of crying and, and, uh, Marin's good. He's going to put the book up and how to get a hold of the book and a lot of other stuff about the book. Uh, uh, there was a, a story in there about your dad and, and as a young kid and, uh, uh, your grandfather and building a fort and a first cigarette. And I related to that. And then I delved a little deeper into the book and the, the beauty folks that the, if you're listening or you're watching, the beauty is you can read it all at once, or you can read a few. You can have it as the bathroom book. Some of the people have a novel there or a bedroom book. It's perfect because each chapter is so different and so the same that that you'll either want to read ahead or read behind. But there was a story, and 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 uh, uh, your dad's on his bicycle going from uh, uh, one town to the next, and then sees a, a German plane uh, zip by, then the American plane zip by, and, and the explosion. And so my mom. Uh, related the story to us and sadly she's got alzheimer's and dementia so trying to do the same thing getting all the stories out of her isn't as easy and and uh she tells me the story uh, about the the plane crash and she can actually see the the soldiers inside the plane she can see the pilots and the people and and how uh her older sister everybody in my mom's family died uncle ernst couldn't go to war because he had uh, some brain damage so he stayed back and then uncle oscar came back with one eye one arm and one leg uh, and was never the same. And, and uh, uh, her father uh, and three of her brothers died. Uh, one never came back from the Russian front. So I related with each of those stories and a lot of crying and, and, and a lot of thinking, a lot of introspection. Uh, my mom had uh, uh, the, the one where 
uh, Königsberg was liberated by a group of uh, U.S. Army soldiers, and there was a black squad in with the uh, white American soldiers at the time. And my mom had never seen a black uh, uh, human ever in her life. And so the young girls that were with her that were all older and everybody else was dead, uh, they, were, they were doing the piggy with the conch shell on the island, whatever the name of that novel is. And they told my mom, hey, listen, uh, you're the fattest one uh, and they're all cannibals and they're going to eat you. Uh, when they come in. And so my mom hid for days and, and uh, they, they finally rescued her and they, they had to take her to the hospital because she was afraid of the U.S. soldiers. And then she would tell me of those deep stories of compassion and how they, they took her under the wing and she saw her first egg since the war had begun. And, uh, and when I read your book, it all comes flooding back. And, and I think that there's an architecture, I think that there's a DNA in all humans that we share so much of the same story. And, and once we start pulling that thread, uh, I, I think that's the common language. I think that's why we could communicate in Iraq and Afghanistan and Yemen and all the places that we've been is maybe we didn't speak the language, but we could read the writing on the wall. Uh, how do you feel about that? How do you, how do you think your book resonates with, with, with everybody that wants to pick it up? Yeah, you know, I think it certainly has a historical context, you know, of the World War II era. But in my opinion, human behavior hasn't changed since we've right. been around, right? Exactly. And so, and, and it's interesting. I w- I've been reading through, haven't picked up a while. I had I maintained two journals when I was in combat in Iraq. One a professional one that I've got here, and one a kind of a personal one with the more intimate um, feelings and emotions and stuff. And it's it's amazing. Haven't looked at them how much how often I remark about the different Iraqis we're encountering. You know, we all want the same things, right? Yeah, right. And there there are just there's bad people out there that we need to deal with. You know, I I say in the back of the book, I talk about um, a Bible verse, um, you know, seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God, you know, and and I would say we would out, you know, we would tell our soldiers, Dell and I and, 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 and uh, Bobby Gallardo and and the other sergeants majors that I served with. um, Hey, look, there's people out there that need killing. Right. And that's, that's what we're there to do. And we would go do that. But there's a whole, bunch of people a lot more people yep. that need, need helping right so protect those that need the helping right uh, and, and i want to protect a, a, a young lieutenant colonel now i won't bring up his name but we, we had a, a training course that was going for bold quest during the time uh, uh i had yet to go in for the insider threat but there was a lot of blue on blue that was going on and they they called and Mattis was still sent calm and they said, Hey, would you, would you come over and do your, do your magic with this bold quest? And I said, of course I would, you know? So I go over there and about halfway through talking about people are the same all over the world and they all want the same things. And all you got to do is tap into that and you'll find that you'll, you'll have a friend, you'll have an ally. And, and when you have a friend and you have an ally, they're less likely to want to kill you, you know, for, for something else. And a young Lieutenant Colonel came up and just got all up in my face and, he couldn't, he couldn't believe it. Are you really saying that, that these people are human like we are and their religion and this? And I said my famous line, uh, this is uh, uh, culture is only context. It doesn't matter what religion. It doesn't matter if you pray to your lava lamp in your room or that. Oh, and he just stormed out. And we have a, a policy. Anybody storms out after, you know, getting bent out of shape, they don't come back in. Uh, because if you know, in the real world, they go to their car, get a gun, and then they want to settle it with their fists or with a knife or a gun. And he came back. And uh, we had enough security there. I was, I was pretty safe on my own, weighing like 400 pounds. I didn't have much trouble. But he came back, and he was all bent out of shape, and he jammed in front of me, uh, uh, it's still in the office here, a copy of Vintage Jesus. And he said that uh, I was not right with the Lord, and I was going in a different direction, and, and uh, started just you know, berating me with uh, Scripture. And I said, do you understand? that the coin is flipped now and you're doing exactly what their imams were doing in the de- evil worst mosque. And, and look, all mosques were okay, but there was a couple that were arms vaults. All of yeah. the people that they met were right. okay, but a couple of them had RPGs and he had lost a lot and he had given a lot and he lacked the ability to see the difference. He lacked the compassion to continue to lead. And it's not my job to pull him out. I took his book, I thanked him, and he never came back to the course. Now, you have one of those once in a while. What do you yeah. do? You, you face that, Colonel. You face that. Well, this book talks about a lot of those experiences. How, how, do, we, how do we reconcile? Reconcile, like, the, the individual level like that or, or just a no, methodology? at large. Yeah, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, for me, my personal belief is, you know, there's a spiritual component to this book. And for, my, for me and my family, faith is very important. 
And so, you know, for me, it's the example of Jesus Christ in living life. And so that's, that's, that's my solution, right? That's my walk humbly with my God. Um, but I think, which is all predicated on, you know, a belief that you treat everyone with dignity and respect because they're created in their creator's image, right? Exactly. We're, all, we're all cut from the same cloth. Um, some people get jacked up more than others, perhaps. But we, you know, we, we have to come at it from that, you know, from that perspective. Now, and then, we, it, go ahead. No, no I think, I, I, Brian, I, I think that, you know, uh, Mike, one of the things that we would say is that I believe, I truly believe that Jesus was one, one of the first human behavior profiles of record, uh, where, where you can actually read his stories about reading other human beings. And he and the disciples sat there with a, with a deer skin and said, okay, you guys are going here, you're going here, this is how we're going to attack the problem. And that gets, keeps me motivated. Uh, we have our little Bible buddies group that we're in touch with all the time. And I know what keeps them motivated. And, and your book makes it clear what kept you and your family motivated. And that's wonderful. And, you need that for context. Yeah. And, and those themes are, 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 you know, universal through a lot of places. And you get a lot of people who don't have maybe like a religious upbringing, they go in the military, and you still have, you know, values, right? So I even know guys who you wouldn't expect who were, I mean, wild, wild Marines who did great things, you wouldn't think it. And you right now go ask them, you know, after they went in, they've been in for 15, out for 15 now, whatever it is, and they still have their honor, courage and commitment card, you wouldn't think that guy does. But he's like, No, look, this is what it comes down to. And so it kind of relate a couple of these things where, where everything you, the themes you brought up about the book about your family and their them being treated well by the Americans. I mean, that's, that's a huge, huge uh, um, responsibility and things that we try to put on junior guys going like, look, you are the extension of us foreign policy, that whole Absolutely. strategic corporal, uh, uh, you know, uh, analogy. And look, you, you're going to do some, you're on the ground interacting. You don't know what that's going to lead to. That interaction right there can can put someone on your side or against you or, or make them go, you know what, I want to go to the U.S. And then that person is now the next guy that, you know, wins a Nobel Prize for curing cancer. I mean, it, it's all, that's how it works. And I, I love the title of your book, The Solid Steps Through Shifting Sand. I'll, I'll let you explain how you have that. But, but the, that it's it makes sense to me because i this is how i take it it immediately reminded me of a personal story of uh working with and training an iraqi commando unit and i was a young sergeant i was maybe 24 uh eight years old at the time right and so i was a uh, leading a, a sniper team marine corps sniper team and so i was just working with this other unit we had our teams a six-man team out at this op and it was kind of like hey these iraqi commandos are here they're on loan from the navy or blah 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 like can we do something with them and i was like yeah let's go so i start talking to them i got the interpreter we're gonna do a little bit of training and then run a little bit of night ops down the, you know along the the uh canal that comes off the um uh the euphrates there and, uh, you know, I'm talking, he's like, hey, where are you from? Trying to build rapport, you know, we're joking around. And then the one day I was like, yeah, I actually, you know, I grew up uh, in Ramadi over at the, you know, northeast side or whatever. Uh, I can't remember the name of the district now, but it doesn't matter. He goes, yeah. And I go, oh, no kidding. I've actually spent time here before because this was now I'm telling this story took place in about 2007. And I go, yeah, I was it, you know, were you here still with your family a few years ago? I was here back in 2004. And he's like, oh, yeah, I was still here. And it was like, oh, okay, well, what were you doing back then? He's like shooting at the Americans. <laughs> and I'm going, you know, okay, uh, pff, how do I, t and the, there was no anger cues. There was no nothing that there was no, he just said, matter of fact, this is what I was doing. And I went, man, that was a powerful, powerful moment talking about shifting sand and having to have solid oh, steps. Yeah. But, but I went like, it was such, it was like one of the most powerful life lessons I've ever learned because not only, because this guy was legit, he was in a commando unit, which means he had passed the selection process. This wasn't just a hired off the street. He was in it to win it. And, and you know, it, this was back during the Ambar Awakening when, when people had finally said, okay, like, yeah, a lot of people said, we don't like the Americans here, but but these other guys uh, that the Americans are fighting are way, way worse than the Americans right. because they're killing right. us now. They're killing their own people. So let's get on board. And he was one of those people. But it just that stuck with me going like, man, the guy shooting at you today might be fighting alongside yeah. you uh, yeah. uh, the next time you're here. And I was just I mean, that's that's always stuck with me. Through Girl, I want to I want to throw this one at you before you go there. Uh, Brian and I are, are uh, teaching in Riyadh. And uh, then we go to Jeddah, and, and we've got this team that's uh, that's with us to provide for our security. And we've got uh, 
uh, interpreters and cultural translators and stuff. And, and uh, within the first couple of days, we didn't need it. They heard our message. They knew yeah. our message. We loved them. They loved us. It was uh, one of my favorite teaching uh, uh, moments going forward because we spoke the same language. And, right. and uh, we're about to, to leave after a long, long, long time. And we made some very good friendships. And our sound guy comes up to us. And uh, oh, this is great. he uh, speaks fluent English for the first time since our deployment. And he goes, hey, just wanted you guys to know what I do for a living. And uh, he yep. hands us uh, these still photos of him. And he, he starts showing uh, us I on killed, his phone. And, yeah. I, I, I killed a bunch of Houthis. Uh, that's what I do. I saw off heads. I'm a sniper. I kill a bunch of people. And I was asked to keep an eye on you guys and, uh, you know, report back if you got to be taken off the grid. But I got to tell you, we're friends for life. We love you yeah. guys. This is so you welcome back. This is how to get a hold of me. This is where you, and, and Marin and I looked at each other. Yeah. And it was like, this guy, <laughs> we ate with him. We slept yeah. with him. We were with him every day. And the idea was that, that it was, uh, our humble approach to it and our openness and, and he didn't shake our faith and we didn't shake his. And there was never any, uh, uh, any moment that we felt afraid. Right. Brian, is that, yeah, no, is that, statement? That, yeah, that, that, that stuff happens uh, kind of all the time with us, but yeah, now, but that, now it does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you, Greg, you use the word humility and I think that in so many ways, that's what we really lack. Um, in, in large, in large measure today, right. We, we, we somehow conflate humility with timidity or something. We don't understand yep. the, the discipline and the strength that it takes to really exercise that humility, right. To consider other people's views and perspectives. Um, and, and I think that's one of the things that, that I, again, I'm so thankful to be blessed growing up in a home where I saw that demonstrated. I heard stories of it being demonstrated toward us. Uh, so those, those things were just kind of second nature, right? Like everybody's like that. It took me a while to realize not everybody's like that, now, that's so but that, true. that was completely, you know, that was by accident. I was just, was very fortunate to be born and raised in a loving home with parents that, that kind of taught me right from wrong. And then to join an organization, you know, where it was purpose driven, right? It's selfless. It's, you know, laying down your life for others. And so that to me, for 34 years, incredible satisfaction. And I'm looking forward to seeing how the call, uh, the next call comes yeah, up. Because you know, this is the next chapter in your book. Yep. I would caution anybody that's listening, uh, uh, get the a copy of this book. And the great thing about it is it's, it's a fantastic tabletop read, like I said. But the cool thing is the chapters are so small that even a Neanderthal like me can wrap <laughs> my brain around it. I didn't have to look up a lot of stuff, which is very helpful. And the cool thing is, that I use it as discussion starters. Sometimes when I'm sitting around with somebody and I have a few minutes at the airport or a plane, I'll throw it out there and I'll say, I was reading this story about, and, and I'll use your experiences. And it's so funny to me how many people share those experiences. Brian, Brian's family, Chicago, Irish. Do you get what I'm saying? And, and me, first generation German, my, uh, I didn't, uh, uh, at home, my mom and my aunt, we used to nickname the Twin Towers well, well before the September 11th. And, and uh, all we spoke was German at home. And if you've ever seen those Christmas shows about the heat miser and the cold miser, that's exactly <laughs> what my mom, Ermgard, and my aunt, uh, uh, Elfrida, uh, looked like. And so when I first went to school, they saw, thought I had a speech problem because I was translating everything in English into the pidgin English that my mom and aunt spoke. <laughs> now, my dad's from, from Sevierville, Tennessee, from a little place called Dixville Notch and it's little uh, 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 Stinking Creek Holler area. And uh, my dad's got the worst Southern accent that you've ever heard. And then he's got all these like, uh, that dog don't hunt, you know, these little phrases that he would use. So I'm a product of first generation German and first generation Tennessee. So in school, they're giving me Ritalin in, in, in a funnel and they're trying to explain to me, you know, like a uh, throw rug was draw rug, uh, uh, jumbo was chumbo. And, and so I didn't know the difference. And when you don't know the difference, you need a guide. And so for morality, you need a guide. So the Bible's a great guide. Your book's a great guide. Your leadership style's a great guide. Legal, moral, and ethical mean something to us, but you can't always do it on your own. So, so we like to, to, hey, all we offer is a free service where people can read and, and talk to other like-minded people, and then we do the training. What you did with your book was cathartic, I'm sure, but what you also did with your book is you gave somebody a point on a map. You, you have a big uh, semi-truck covered with Visqueen, and it's all white. And you gave them a dot, and you said, okay, this is a starting point. And I, I, I truly appreciate that. So, so I want to throw one out there. And, I, uh, Brian, I, I, 
so excited to see Mike, and I apologize. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going off of your schedule. Suicide. Uh, uh, what, what do we do? Uh, Brian and I, uh, Brian Shelley and I, and a lot of great folks uh, worked at, at, at uh, Joint Base Lewis-McChord. Uh, we worked into a program that, that got picked up by the Navy. Um, we still speak on suicide prevention. And Brian said it so eloquently earlier, all the cues are the same. Finding a bad guy, finding a meth lab, and finding somebody that, that wants to kill themselves that has the fascination or the ideation. It's all the same skill. Once you tune in that laser flashlight, you'll be able to find it. But but what do we do, Mike? What, how can we yeah. get these, these soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines, and especially our law enforcement professionals to stop killing themselves? Yeah, so there's, there's, two, uh, there's two levels I'll address this at. One is all of the things you just described, we've got to keep doing, right? We've got to, it's, it's giving people the ability to perceive and understand what other people are going through, empathize enough to talk to them directly, bring it up. So we've made great strides in the trying to help other people recognize those, those um, challenges that pe other people are going through, right? To give them that empathy and the, the sympathy to care enough to, to not worry about what they're doing, but say, right, what's going on in this other person's life? Maybe I can help. I will say though, I think there's, there's a whole nother, to me, it's leadership, right? right. Leadership. And it's not down to the battle buddy level, right? Nobody, right. This yeah. is all hard. Yeah. You, you know, you can't say battalion, command, battalion commanders and sergeants and majors aren't walking around looking at every soldier. They, there's no way that can happen. Um, one of the challenges we have is, look, we're a, we're a secular organization. The military is a secular organization. We, but we've got some real problems it's, um, socially in our country where, um, you know, it's – it's very difficult to address some of these heart issues because we've taken some things off the plate, right? You, you can't talk about, and I'm not suggesting you do this. You don't proselytize to your soldiers, right? Uh, you don't, I mean, there's, I mean, suicide's a problem. What about pornography? I mean, the, yes. there's, no, no, they're there's, right. there are things that whittle away any kind of addiction. Right. And, and we're no, we know so much more right. about the science of all these things now. Yeah. Um, and so there's so many of these things, but so we've got these band-aid solutions for things like we've got mm -hmm. something for if you're an alcoholic, but what, what about the people that are addicted to porn that are out there? That's there's a an sensitive that, right? issue, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, the, and then, so what do we do about suicide? Well, okay, how do we address these very, you know, we're, these are why questions. Why am I here? What's yes. my purpose? And they, we have, we have, we have cultural values that we can point to that are, that are, they could be spiritual, but if they're not, even if they're a spiritual, there are values that we have to point to, but it's still going to take that human touch and the yes. interaction where people don't feel that they're all alone and there's no hope. And right. it, it, do you know, you brought up a couple of great, I, because I, I'm, I'm kind of in this domain a lot too, just one helping guys out, we work with a couple nonprofits and some other stuff we're trying to do uh, as it, as it grows and it, it comprehensive stuff, you know, um, but, but you brought up a number of things that w whether it's uh, spiritual or not, there's certain values, there's, uh, there, there's, a, you brought, you said word addiction, which is perfect, because there's, there's science behind that, right? So everyone goes, look, this is not just a, despite what you may think of these different issues, I don't care, there, there's an issue that needs to be addressed. So there's different ways to do that. And that comes down to that, that empathy we have for each other, right? And, and being, like you said, leadership, which means I got to take responsibility, and I have to lead by example and go, Look, uh, uh, you know, this, these are some of the issues. Uh, we just worked and met with a great, I don't want to say his name, he's still active duty, uh, Sergeant Major, very high level. Uh, but he, same thing, he went to his small unit that he's a part of and said, All right, guys, like I'm going to lead by example. Uh, you know what? Hey, well, I'm making it mandatory that you have to go in and talk to, the, talk to the therapist once a quarter. You don't have to say anything, but you mandatory have to go in there. So he's like, I'll start. He's like, I'll go in there. He's like, I figure I'll just go in there and sit for 15 minutes, wherever he goes. Two and a half hours later, I come out yeah. and I went home and apologized to my wife. But he goes, like, you don't see it when you're in it, when you're when you're yep. when you're when it's that close to you, when you're so close and you're especially in the military, what is it? It's go, go, go. It's train to fight. It's we got this. So we 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 miss right. a lot of that stuff. So 
So what you're talking about is all, all things at, at all levels. It's not just a leadership. It's a battle but, buddy issue. But it goes yeah. all the way to the Pentagon, too. Mm -hmm. Dana, Dana Pittard, we're going to have General Pittard on in, in a week uh, talking about his novel. And, and he was instrumental in getting ASAT down in Texas and the, the pre-deployment troops. And, and uh, Dana, when, when he made his comments about suicide, it was after walking out of a guy that killed himself in front of his kids. And it was a very trying moment. And, and he was emotional about it. And it was the end of his career for all intents and purposes. And we've seen that, too. And we've had people that yank me with the shepherd's crook off the stage and say, don't you go there. Say that, you yeah. know, uh, uh, you, you can talk about uh, 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 child trafficking, but you can't talk about child pornography. You can talk about uh, uh, gun violence, but Hollywood can, it can, it can uh, uh, you know, proselytize about it, using your word. Uh, but then those same actors are in the, the next movie that they're using automatic weapons. And this dichotomous relationship is what's killing our youth because they don't have a clear message, you know? And, it's confusing. It, it, it yeah. is confusing. Yeah. Right. And yeah. listen, the last thing you want to do when you're confused is, is to drink or to isolate yourself even further. And that's exactly the types of things that are happening is that we don't know that, that we're not the only ones with these issues. So sometimes destigmatizing it, talking about it, bringing it up there. And you know what? We're, we're not great. Uh, uh, and, and, and we're not really good at, at, uh, at the message yet. And we've been talking about suicide uh, uh, professionally uh, since 2010. Okay. And we're still making mistakes and we still get spanked where somebody says, Oh, don't use those words. And it's like the school shooting where they go, no, you can't talk about the shooter. Look, we're all in the dark swinging, but we know something's got to be done. But the more we talk about it, the more we bring that issue to light, the more we tell somebody, go to the VA, get, get help, call the line. Brian, you're exactly right. When you're talking about the, talking about it, makes it easier. Uh, uh, we all have those demons. We all have those, those things that, that don't go away. And, uh, uh, you know, I can still drive around at night and look in my rearview mirror and see the cage on the scout car and the deceased person behind you and, and waking up with those night terrors. So there's a way and it gets easier. And, and it's like, you know, going through life, uh, uh, your, your family faced so many uh, trials, as is many families, writing about it, talking about it, painting, uh, uh, pottery, whatever it is to get over that. But we have to do a better job. Uh, uh, to reach out because when somebody wants to say something, a lot of times we're, we're tuning out and, and then it's too late. Uh, yeah. You gotta, you gotta shine the light of day on these things. You yeah, really do. Avoidance doesn't work. I don't care what's, yeah. what problem you're trying to solve. It is yeah. not a good solution. And yeah. it's not an app. It's not going to be solved with an app and it, and it's not going to be solved with a, a, a video game. Uh, no matter how hard they try uh, it's people, it's about people, it, you know, right. and, and that's why uh, we stress Mike still to this day in-person training. And there's so many portals out there where we don't have to go anywhere. As a matter of fact, we're using one now. Uh, a podcast is a way of virtually, you know, uh, uh, studying material. But that human touch, yeah. that eye-to-eye -eye contact, right. that, like you said, uh, clear light of day, that transparency, that open stuff that you get in the small groups in that room with the, with the soldiers or with the first responders, that's magic. You can't, you can't put a price on that. Well, we, uh, we, I think that's a good, good spot to, to wrap on, but we, we definitely appreciate you coming on here, sir. Uh, everyone out there, I'll, I'll post all the links, uh, on everything, but solid steps through shifting sand, uh, pick up the book. I'm sure you can find it everywhere, but I'll, I'll post links to where they can get it. Uh, when I post up the, uh, the podcast. So we appreciate it. Uh, thanks for your time and we appreciate you coming on, sir. Colonel, yeah. will you come back in the future? A absolutely. And Greg, just to all your listeners out there, uh, particularly those still serving in uniform or having served in uniform on behalf of my family uh, to the U.S. and to the to our military and to all of our um, everyone who serves other people. Just thank you so much. My my family uh, thanks you. Thanks, Colonel. All right, thank you, sir. That's all for today, folks. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook at HBPRA. Check out our website at ArcadiaCognorati.com. Please, if you enjoyed the show, like it, share it, tell your friends about it. Let's get the word out there. And if there's something you want us to cover directly or curious about, go ahead and get a hold of us by email at leftofgreg at gmail.com. Thanks.